Hey, all you rad dads out there. Hey, what's up, everybody? Rad Dad Brett here, and I'm not going to lie. I'm excited to share this next interview with you. Recently, I had the chance to sit down with a guy who might be the most iconic frontman in punk rock history. Like, so iconic that he has his own logo. And even my 18-month-old knows his name. Although that might be because he's on the front of just about every t-shirt I own. That's right. Scientist, singer, and dad, Milo Ackerman of The Descendants. Milo and I cover some serious ground in this interview. Canadian vacations, following your passions, time management as a stay-at-home dad, and Milo even dishes some dirt on some upcoming projects. This is one you are not going to want to miss. So fill up that bonus cup, recite your ologistics, and get ready for some good, good things with Milo Ackerman on the Rad Dad Show. Yeah, so let's let's start by just asking, who are you? Uh, Milo Ackerman. I'm in the band The Descendants. Uh, I had an alternate career as a scientist a while back, uh, and I do, in fact, have two lovely children aged 16 and 18. Uh, uh, boy, a, a boy who's 18 and the girl is 16. And what are their names? Do you mind telling me? Oh, yeah. Uh, the boy is uh, Owen. Okay. And the girl is Claire. Claire. Okay. They actually have their mom's last name because that was the only way I could convince her to have kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they have her last name. So that's interesting. So um, when you guys kind of... I'm going to say decided to have kids. Seems like it was uh, maybe a, a bit of a negotiation, <laughs> but uh, you weren't maybe on the same page about that. Well, I, I think um, we'd had some conversations that, that kind of, you know, that were, that were, I call probing discussions about who's, are you, are you interested? Are you in, you know? And I think I, I, at the start, I was definitely saying, yeah, I want to, yeah, I want to have kids. And, and she was more kind of on the fence. Um, and then I think she visited her, her OBGYN at some point and her OBGYN kind of said, Hey, you know, you're, if you're going to do it, you might think about it sooner rather than later. You know, it's just the whole age thing or whatever. Yeah. And so, yeah. I, and so I helped her out to kind of just make that decision. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it was definitely one of the things where she said, okay, we'll do it. But they get to have my last name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I mean, I think that's a pretty common conversation, right? Usually there's, you know, one of the partners is kind of more into it than, than the other. I remember I always kind of joke about with my my wife, we um, used to have this conversation, right, as most couples do, you know, are you interested? Are you interested? And um, we had kids like, you know, sounds like a little bit similar, a little bit later and, you um, I was always, my answer was always, yeah, I, I think I might want to have kids. Probably my number is zero to one. <laughs> like I was kind of like, oh, I, I might be okay to not. Of course now, like you wouldn't look back. Right. But, um, but yeah, it's a, a common conversation. Yeah. The, the interesting thing for us was that, so I was, I was more pushing for it first. And then we had our first, our son and my wife was completely smitten by him as, as you would, as you are basically yeah. with newborn. And then she said, let's have another. And I was, I was more like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. <laughs> so we kind of flip-flopped in between one and two, which is makes it all kind of, 
you know, even Steven in the end. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And like, so your kids are two years apart. So yeah. you had two little kids right around the same time. That's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. We I think when we decided to have another second one, we thought, well, okay, we'll give it a crack. And then it was like, okay, well, that happened quick. I mean, it was we 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 kind of we we just kind of dabbled. We dabbled in the whole notion of it, and then all of a sudden, it just boom, you know. So I, I feel grateful, you know, that we never had any issues with that. But, but yeah, they're 20 months apart, so they're yeah. pretty close. Yeah. So you probably weren't quite at the potty train stage with your son when your daughter was no. born. Yeah. No, he was not potty trained. And then I think she saw what was going down with him, and she and she's like, "Well, I'm going to beat his ass," you know. So she was much easier potty trained because she had that competitive fire. So, yeah, that's yeah. all. So funny, right? With the kind of watching the second kid, or you know, I've got two, but um, with subsequent kids, what they sort of pick up and learn from their older sibling, and and that almost competitive nature. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. We uh, we're kind of starting to think about that right now too. My youngest is 18 months, and she seems like she's kind of really interested in what her sister's doing. So, yeah, maybe we'll start a little bit earlier with her. Yeah, I mean, they pick they pick it up from the the older one, so. Right, right. Um, so in, in sort of the timeline, and I'm going to use like the Descendants timeline, wh- when did you have kids? That would have been around like the cool to be you kind of time. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was working at DuPont at the time as well. And uh, I was having a, just a huge breakthrough in my lab research. Uh, just you know, all of a sudden, my, my research became incredibly exciting. And then, uh, you know, uh, Robin got pregnant. And so I kind of had this, this one year, 2002 I, I was my, my very, very creative year because yeah. it was created scientifically and from the other perspective as well. I mean, we, we made a, we made a little boy and it was, so that's the, it's a very, I have very fond memories of that, uh, happening, uh, kind of in the midst of all that, but you're right in the sense that in 2002, um, in 2001, we started recording the cool to be you record. Um, and no, no, we started recording it in early 2002 because Bill, Bill had contacted me. I'd sent Bill a bunch of songs in, in the early 2000s, like 2000, 2001. And he said, okay, well, we'll work, we'll work these up. And they worked up all their songs. They worked up all my songs. And then several months went by. And then finally he contacted me and says, uh, yeah, let's do, let's do the recording. And I, and I said, well, my wife's about to have a kid. So, you know, they put a, it put a certain timeline on the whole event. So right. That, yeah. So I, we, had, we had to record that record before Robin, you know, gave birth. Cause of course then, then everything shifts once, For once, sure. that, once that kid comes around. So yeah. we were able, we were able to record it and finish the recording before she, you know, gave birth. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit harder to say after the baby arrives. Yeah. I'm just going to fly out to Colorado for a few weeks. Yeah. You'll be, home. You'll be fine. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, that we wanted to avoid that for sure. But in yeah. fact, Bill, Bill flew out, Bill flew out here to Delaware with all with the, with the masters. And we just, we, we did vocals, you know, where I am anyway. So. Oh, nice. And is that how, is that kind of how you guys usually do it these days or these? Yeah. These days, these days he'll he'll fly out and we actually record in my basement now because I just have a little uh, you know vocal studio set up in my basement. So we've recorded the, for the latest record that we're working on now. He's just uh, 
brought the because now it's just digital, right? It just brings a, a big hard drive out with them. Right. And we record in my basement. Um, and that's nice because, I mean, my family loves Bill. And so it's like, hey, Bill's coming. Oh, yay. You know, and then, yeah. then the whole family can 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 rally around having Bill as a guest. And, then, that, you know, it, just, it makes for a really kind of festive atmosphere. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, an interesting comment you make. Like, I feel like kind of the, I mean, you're talking about the, you know, Bill being almost like part of your family. Um, I, I was in, in Colorado for the, the 25th anniversary Blasting Room show, and I, I remarked to lots of people, and I've talked about it even on the, the podcast, that, like, there's almost this huge extended family around the Descendants and that whole, you know, that whole thing. It's its, its own universe, and it just seems like everybody gets along so great. I mean, I'm sure... It, you know, didn't come without its struggles over the years, you know, like any yeah. band or family. But, um, yeah, it's such a cool, cool thing to experience and need that to hear. Was, that was fun. That was a fun gig. Definitely. Oh, that, yeah, that was an awesome weekend. That was so great. Um, so a few times we did that in uh, a couple years ago. We did. Uh, uh, Stefan did a, a version of that down in Tulsa as yeah. well. It wasn't necessarily Blasting, but it was some of his favorite bands including all as well. So anytime I get to see all is a good time for me. And, and again, it's like you said, it's a big family, so it's a big reunion and everyone can just, you know, you know, reminisce about the good old days and, and, you know, and just kind of catch up with each other. So it's great. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm still kicking myself about not going out to Tulsa. Um, you know, I, uh, yeah, I met up with a bunch of uh, fans uh, for the blasting room show and just kind of like, you know, got talking like, Oh yeah, I remember you from this message board or I, you know, we've talked on Facebook and it's like all these, these people that kind of come to all these shows and see each other every one or two years, you kind of become friends. So it's, it's neat how it kind of ripples out to even that. Yeah. So, so around that time you had Owen. Yeah. You're saying that was kind of a creative time for you. So, and creative in, in more ways than one, right. Creating a child busy at work writing material um, for cool to be you. Yep. So like, do you think, do you think that having Owen contributed to that? Or do you think it was kind of like just all kind of part of the mix or, or maybe, maybe I'll ask the question this way. Like did, did having your first child, how, how did that change you? How did that affect you personally? And maybe on the larger picture, you know, in terms of music and what that meant for you in your career. Well, I think uh, at that point, at that point, I wasn't really considering myself a musician as much as a scientist. And so my feeling is, is that uh, I, I had put in the creative work prior to having Owen, prior to us having Owen, to be able to do the cool to be re- new record. But I had also agreed, I had also said, I'm not going to, we're not going to tour after this record so i think probably more having owen affected more my viewpoint on my career at the time that i was pursuing which was science so definitely more the science part was uh, something where i had to kind of reassess you know am i gonna be this hot shot science guy uh and probably and probably then take a take a hit from like a the, you know, family perspective or just, you know, the whole work-life balance and you got to strike that work-life balance. And too often people in science can't, can't strike it, you know? Uh, and of course this, this is a, 
there's a huge gender disparity in terms of that as well. Um, and uh, I tried to strike it as best I could. Um, it's much, much more challenging for a woman than it would be for a man. And that's just because of our, you know, our traditional mores, which are, I think, kind of bullshit, if, you, yep. if I can use the phrase. So, I mean, but I, but I did like, you know, when, when Owen was born, I took as much time, I, I took my, the, my legally allowed time away from work. Um, and in fact, they allowed me to take, uh, at DuPont, they allowed me to take even more. So I was, I was away from work, I think for like six months, I think maybe, oh, wow. or maybe, maybe it was three, maybe six. Now I can't remember, but it, it, seemed, it seemed like I was away from work for a while. And, and I kind of had, to, I had to rethink you know, because I was right in the middle of this big discovery and trying to publish paper and, you know, tried to, was submitting it to really high, high, high power journals and having it be rejected and thinking, oh, I'm blowing it, you know, and, and you don't, you never want to think oh, I'm blowing it because I had a kid or whatever, something like that. That thought enters your mind, you know, and, and I just had to kind of say, no, I, I, I this is, I, I'm, ch- I'm choosing a work life balance. And then this paper is going to come out one way or the other, and maybe it's not going to be as high profile a journal, but I'm just, it's, I, I need to kind of stick to my guns in terms of what my work life balance is going to be basically. But, uh, you know, it's, like I said, I think it's, it's something that women deal with on a much, much more, you know, intense scale. I totally agree. I mean, it's, I think it's just such a, so ingrained into our, kind of North American culture, right? That, um, you know, for so many reasons, women tend to be sort of the, the primary go-to caregiver. Um, and so when they have those responsibilities at home, you know, work just tends to not be as responsive. I think it's getting better for sure. You know, we certainly in, in Canada, and I can't comment exactly where you are, but it's getting better. Um, even, you know, from the perspective of like offering paternity leaves now instead of just maternity, um, you know, those kinds of things. But yeah, it's, it's tough. I, I was home for three months with our second daughter. Um, I took off, my wife went back early. She'd originally planned to take a year off and she went back after nine months to work. And I took the last kind of three months and man, that was a total eye opener, (laughs) right? Not, Not only from like, wow, this is really hard. Um, to be a stay-at-home parent, um, but like it really changes the way you think, right? And 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 how you prioritize your family. And so you're, it's interesting you're talking about taking maybe three six months off. Do you think how you would have approached kind of going back to work? You think you would have had a different feeling about that had you gone back after two months or two weeks? Yeah, I mean, I I I, th- I felt I felt like um, as much time as I could take would be yeah. You know, I mean, as much time as they was they would give me, yeah. I was going to take. Um, and I think that the you know down here in the states, it's kind of it's kind of stingy. Yeah, I think it's much better. You'd say in Europe or much better up in Canada for sure. Um, but I was going to take it no matter what because I do feel like if I would have gone back after two weeks, there's a bit of like a cheating cheating myself and cheating my my progeny of of important yeah. time or whatever, you know? Uh, but, uh, yeah. So I'm hoping that those kind of dynamic, those kind of things can change. My wife actually, uh, does part of her job is at the, she's at the university of down here in Delaware and she actually has a, a grant 
to study um, um, disparities in the workplace regard, regarding, uh, you know, women, women in science, for example, and women in science not, not really making sufficient progress in their careers because of this very issue of, you know, who's doing the child, child rearing. And, uh, and, uh, so she, I, I kind of, I kind of get a perspective on that from her as well. Yeah. It just, as you, as you said, it's getting better, but it's, there's still a long way to go. Yeah. And I, I think there's different career paths where it, it is a little better than others. There's still some careers mm-hmm. that tend to be a bit of like an old boys club kind of thing and, um, right. lack of a better term. And, you know, I, um, have certainly yeah, experienced some of that in, in uh, mine and my wife's careers as well. So, um, so how how did you how did you kind of overcome that? You were really busy around that time. How did you achieve that work life balance? How did you? What strategies did you have to kind of put in place? What did that look like for you? Well, uh, I can I can distinctly remember, and I think about it now. I I did that, didn't I? I brought my kid, I brought Owen to my lab <laughs> yeah. a few times, a few times. I just, I brought Owen to my lab because my wife had to go teach, for example, and, and I, I had an experiment ongoing and I'm back at work. It's kind of like, well, keep the ball rolling in, in my lab life. But that meant that I was bringing this kid with me in a, in a um, car seat, you know, how the car seats kind of they come out of the car and they become like a cradle or whatever. Yeah. So this is, yeah. this is like a few weeks old or baby <laughs> who's, who I'm, I, I would bring in a lab. Now, of course I'm not bringing him into lab space, but I bring him into my office. Right. And you know, at that age, they're just sleeping all the time. Yeah, for sure. And, and but I look back and I go, boy, what did people think of that to bring, to bring your, you know, newborn, into the, into your workspace like that. But I guess, I mean, I feel fortunate that my, my boss was kind of either was turning a blind eye or was kind of like, it's okay, whatever I did it. And we, so that was the kind of the, that, that part of childcare, the childcare issue was solved in, in, in by hook or by crook. And that was one way we did it. <laughs> I brought the, cause I mean, obviously my wife would bring, would bring Owen to her workspace, so I brought. I would also bring Owen to my workspace as well. So yeah, what you kind of realize, like after you have have kids, is like what. <laughs> I, I was so guilty of this, like you know, saying things like, "Oh, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to be that kind of parent or whatever." And then you realize once you're in it, like sometimes you just have to do what you have to do to kind of get by <laughs> and survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't. I think at the time, at the time, you know, you're so well, you're sleep deprived for one thing. Yeah. But but you're so desperate to um, just to make something work, a, a, a to make something work, and b to kind of treat, keep a semblance of of a normal life. Or you know, like if if you are working a job where you kind of have to have to be there, yeah. how are you going to make that work? Um, and I, I guess you know, I do feel fortunate that that they let me even do that. But I look back and think. What did people think of that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, pretty strange. You, you think about like there, because uh, I was the same way. Like, very fortunate to have reasonable childcare around and the options and things like that. What you know, there's lots of people who don't don't have that possibility, right? Yeah. And so things are very difficult for them. So yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but I, but I do think it's it's one thing that as a brand new parent, um, especially with a brand new baby, you kind of like. I mean, there's like the, they're crying and you're getting used to that whole thing, but they do sleep a lot. So you almost get this like little phase where like, oh, I can still like take them out shopping and I can still like, yeah, maybe bring them to my office or whatever. But it, pretty soon when they start, you know, motoring around, yeah, that's out the window. Yeah. Yeah. We used to take Owen out to the restaurants yeah. and he we'd be having a nice meal and he'd just be sleeping the whole time. Yeah. Under the <laughs> table in the car seat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. Um, so to you, what are the most rewarding aspects of being a dad? I, I think it's just to see how they've how they turn out to be such you know gems of people. They're just uh they're just such great human beings. I've just been enjoying watching them because then now they're both teenagers and they have their teen moments, but at the same time, they're just so, uh, they're so, uh, with it. Uh, and so, so brilliant in many, in, you know, many instances. And that's just been great to, to, to see that happen. And of course that's by That's just because that's who they are. It's, I don't feel like I had much <laughs> input into that other than the, you know, go to school, you know, yeah, uh, force them to go to school. But, but, but I think that they, they just have a, they have, they just are, they're very kind of, I think, very stable and very uh, um, brilliant individuals. And I've just been enjoying that. You know, my son's going off to college this year. He's going off to George Washington University. So well, there's congrats. a sense of pride. Yeah. So I'm proud. I'm proud of him for, you know, going and getting that together. And and uh, yeah, so it's it's been great. They uh, they just both have a lot of great potential. So great to see that. So is your is your son planning on following in your footsteps in terms of pursuing science or? He's a computer guy, okay. so he's been he's been doing computers uh, for a while. He built his he built his own computer, you know, ordered up all these parts and put it all together. And I was like, whoa, how did that work? You know, so I I was very impressed. Um, so he's into computers. My daughter's into both. I call it physics slash math. STEM, I guess, yeah. and she also plays the French horn. So she, she kind of has followed my footsteps in terms of this dichotomy between music and science. She's kind of right in that same zone, so that's kind of fun. So I, I heard you talking about um, a potential ukulele album or some some <laughs> ukulele stuff you've been working on. Maybe maybe your daughter accompanies you on that. That I got to get her. Yeah, I definitely. You know, I've been I've been thinking that for a while. This first, the first three songs I've done on Uke, they're probably a little more um, aggro. But when I but I've got a ballad that I want that I've got to record that I think she could. It's kind of a more folky ballad song that I could get her playing French horn on, and that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that would it's, be awesome. I'm scheming. I'm scheming to make this happen somehow. Yeah. Is that like one of those things you? you thought about when your kids were young, even like, Oh, it'd be cool to, to kind of share that musical experience with them or, and, and I'm sure you have already a little bit. Yeah. Well, the, so we, we, we hadn't played as a band. Descendants hadn't played as a band until we'd taken a big hiatus until about 2011. And the main reason we got back together in 2011, one of the main reasons for me, at least 
was that my daughter had heard some of my music and was saying, hey, don't you ever re- play this live? I'd, I'd like to listen to this, but I'd also like to hear it live. And I said, well, maybe we can make this happen, you know? <laughs> and I and I contacted Bill, and he had, Bill actually himself had just, had just recovered from a brain tumor. Right. And so there was a lot of impetus to, to, to play shows. And I, and I think that there was just a lot of good feeling about us all still him surviving that and us being able to just kind of reform and, and, and play live. I think there's just a tremendous amount of enthusiasm for that at that point for us. And having my daughter weigh in on that was for me the may have tilted the scales even more. Uh, so she, so she did get to see us play shortly after we made that decision. She got to see us play for the first time. And it was, that was very special for me, obviously. Um, and then we, we, we actually played this, we used to play this song, all logistics, and we'd get them up yep. to sing, to, to do all logistics, which at that age for how young they were was, was pretty good just to kind of, they could, they could see the the team masses out there and, and they could be on stage and experience what it's like to perform. But it, but it was just kind of reciting lines of a yeah of, of so it's kind I, of fun. I, that I, I can't. I, I feel like I saw you guys do do that. Did you do that at punk rock bowling? Possibly. I no, but sure. I don't know if you ever went. There was a, we did a festival in Edmonton uh, one year. Yes, you where did. Yes, Sonic them. Sonic Boom. Yeah. Yeah. So you saw them there because they yeah. were they were. So we we did a, a nice family vacation where we went to. Uh, Canmore, Canmore, and uh, spent several days hiking and enjoying. It's a beautiful city. I love that place, or beautiful town, I guess. But then we then we zoomed up up to uh, Edmonton and played that show. And I got yeah, I got them on stage for that for sure. Yeah, Uh, that that is where I saw it for sure. Um, That was that show was actually on my birthday that year. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that that was so much fun because Rise Against played too, and then we just, yeah. you know, they're they're such good friends of ours, and the kids got to meet the Rise Against guys, and and so it was just a real special experience for the for the two for our kids to meet them, and uh, we had such a great vacation, so very yeah, fun. Awesome. Canmore is amazing. Yeah, that's typically yeah. you know when we kind of go on a small family trip or whatever, we usually go to Canmore. I mean, that's a big family trip for you. <laughs> for us, it's really close, but. Yeah. Um, like that's where we like to go. It's just so peaceful and just amazing with the mountains right there. Yeah. Crazy. Beautiful. Yeah. And I, I think that was my, that was their, the kids first, was that their first visit to, no, that was their second visit to the, to Canada. They've been to Toronto before that. Okay. So, cause Toronto is a little easier for us to get to. Right. And so they had, they'd done, they, we did the same thing in Toronto where I was playing a show and they came up with me, so we went up and saw uh, Niagara Falls, and then we went into Toronto. But then I think that started off my daughter's love affair with the the whole country, Canada. Uh, she probably will end up moving there when she's an adult. <laughs> you know, there's just so many places. We've been down to Montreal a few times. We've been to Vancouver, yeah, and to Canmore. So I feel like we're kind of honorary Canadians at this point. Yeah, yeah, Canada's great. Um, like, there's so much diversity in what you can kind of see in Canada. The the um, the topography of Canada is, is pretty amazing. And we kind of take it for granted sometimes. You know, we live pretty close to the mountains, but you get out there sometimes and kind of step back. It's like, whoa, this is amazing. Yeah. Uh, 
so what like what are your kids it sounds like they're kind of interested in your music what like where's that at right now what do they think about what you do in terms of your your music and the descendants and, and that whole thing what do they think when they see you on stage and there's like thousands of people singing along to your songs yeah i i, I think uh my daughter picked up on it before my son where i because she i would i would just be playing punk rock around the house yeah and her first, the first thing she really got got into was uh, Agent Orange, and she's like, "I like that Agent Orange stuff." And I go, "Cool, well, let me play." I play her a bunch of other stuff, and then I, of course, I slip in my my yeah. music as well, thinking, "Well, maybe she'll like my music too." And then that's where that's that's where she said, "Yeah, we, I want to see." So I'm not sure that my band was ever her favorite band, but I yeah, I feel like I gave I, I gave her a good schooling in in punk rock. To the point where they still, you know, they still listen to some punk rock. Um, they they went through a big period of liking uh, Rise Against. You know, yeah. that was kind of like a go-to for them. My son, uh, he he kind of gravitated fairly quickly towards hip hop, and he's kind of the hip hop kid now, uh, and and listens almost exclusively to that. I would say, um, which is fine. Yeah. yeah. So I I chatted with Bill back in November at the blasting room thing. And he was talking about how his daughter um, kind of, and his son um, had kind of opened him up to new music that he hadn't seen or heard before. Is, do you guys have that experience too, where you're like, Oh yeah, this is actually pretty cool. Yeah. I think Owen, Owen gets a kick out of playing hip hop for us because he knows that, you know, I'm first, he knows that I'm, I've got a receptive ear to it and he knows that he's, he's going to be playing something that I've never heard because yeah. he, he do have a receptive ear to it, but I don't necessarily study the genre or whatever. Right. And so he can play me. He, he got to some point where he was on Spotify and he, and he got really into listening to hip hop that had the fewest number of streams possible. Like this guy's only got like a hundred streams and it's <laughs> great. And my daughter's the same way. She's got like this really obscure hip hop. artist. She's really like hip on um, and that's cool. I mean, that's kind of, you know, how I, I, how I dealt with punk rock growing up. I knew that yeah. punk rock is such an underground thing. And, and you kind of have that feeling of like, it's, it's a kind of like this undiscovered gem that, that, uh, that no one knows about, you know, and that makes it more fun that way. Yeah. Your little secret, right? Yeah. So yeah, that, that's awesome. So I'm going to ask you the, the, when I get old question. Um, so how, how has fatherhood changed you? Like kind of reflecting, over these last 18 years, what, what's different about Milo Ackerman these days? What, what has, has fatherhood, uh, I guess, what shift has that created in you? I, I mean, I guess, I guess I, I, uh, I guess I've, it makes you, it makes you, it humbles you more than anything. You know, it's a very humbling experience. I, I, if you don't have kids, or if you before, let's just say before you have kids, you could kind of feel like you've figured out a large part of your life. But kids are, it's just a whole new set of challenges, many of which you can't solve. Many, a whole set of problems, some, many of which you can't solve. And so that's, I think more than anything, it's taught, it's taught me that, uh, that, uh, I, I'm just, in, I'm as imperfect a human as anyone else. Um, and, and I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna figure out life because it's there. They, 
they provide such a different perspective on life for me. Yeah. And they also just, uh, they also provide, they also allow me to, to see certain things in life that are problems that I thought I had, that I thought that I had the answer for. And they can point out that, no, you don't have the answer. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if that, you know, now they're teens. So they, they, you know, they can definitely point out that I don't have the answer. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it takes you out of your own head, right? Like you said, you, yeah. before you have kids, you know, in, in your little universe, you had, you do have it figured out. Um, yeah. and it's all about you. And so yeah. taking you out of that, yeah, definitely, um, <laughs> opens that up and teaches you that, yeah, you might have you figured out, but there's a whole bigger kind of world out here and different permutations of what can happen. And, you, and to some extent, you're kind of not in control of it. Yep, definitely. Yeah. So um, this is the Rad Dad Show. So are you a rad dad? I'll ask a two-part question. Would you consider yourself a rad dad? And, and maybe um, in order to answer that question, what, what are to you, what are the traits of a rad dad? I think my my daughter's had a she had a nickname for me from a very young age. I think you know before they can even before they even know a lot of words. Her nickname for me, term of endearment, I guess, was Doodoo Doodoo Batio, and I don't know. <laughs> I, I and my wife probably encouraged it as well because it's yeah. cute or whatever. So I became I was Doodoo Batio. And somehow that morphed into bad dad. And I was like, oh, great. How did Doodoo Badio become bad dad? So then it became bad dad. It's like, oh, no. So I had to put the kibosh on that because I don't think I'm a bad dad. I can't say that I'm a rad dad, but I'm not a bad dad. So I'm somewhere in the, in the mix, mix between that. I mean, I don't know if I'm a rad dad because I crack some pretty, pretty bad dad jokes. So <laughs> it's hard to be bad then. And, um, you know, I, one thing I can say is that I I feel like I um, I feel like I've struck a good balance between being not too kind of not too much of a disciplinarian with them, but also having high expectations. You know, now I do have high expectations of my kids, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that I'm going to be cracking the whip on them or anything like that. Um, and uh, so. It's how I was raised. I was raised in an environment where I, I, I didn't experience a lot of kind of draconian uh, rules and structure, but but they but they did have high expectations of me, uh, unspoken pretty much unspoken expectations of me, and I think that's that helped me kind of navigate my you know young adult period. Um, so that's kind of how I, I view my, how I deal with them. And, you know, maybe I'm kind of a rad dad because a, I'm not, I'm not kind of cracking down on them all the time. And B I'm, I have a career that's off the beaten path. Right. And it does make, it does make for some interesting stories that they can tell their friends or just, you know, it's, it's got, it's a, it's a point of, of conversation that, that they can have. And, you know, they're here. My daughter's, Friends are always coming over to the house and saying, "Do you got any shirts? Any free shirts? You know, can, can oh, you get cool. us some?" Sh-? We're always giving free shirts and this kind of stuff, and that's always fun to get to kind of, uh, you know, have the have them get some merch from give off give give them merch, and that way they're advertising my band. You know, yeah. Well, so yeah, I think there's so, like yeah, I guess I, I'm almost I'm almost rad, just not quite. Yeah. 
there's there's kind of two ways you know to interpret that question like i think objectively from the outside a lot of people would think you're a pretty rad dad you got a pretty rad um you know career history um you know, pretty rad musician put out some pretty rad records um but but i think then there's that self um that sort of internal definition what makes a rad dad and like to par- paraphrase what you said i kind of heard for you it's about setting high expectations but then providing the support to meet those expectations right because I, th- yep. I think you know there's different ways of approaching it you you talked about kind of that draconian or more traditional maybe way of of parenting and i think high expectations was typically uh, a hallmark of that but maybe the support wasn't quite the same or it wasn't yeah. delivered in the same way that maybe was as effective yeah and, and the support part i think is an important thing not only because of the traditional role of dads was like you work and you work and you work and maybe at home maybe you come home and your your kids see you for an hour and then you know that's it for the day and i feel like that that's kind of antiquated uh and so i've been trying to i've tried to be there for more hours in the day for my kids and of course the second second thing that can make that difficult uh aside from just the working hours is, is if you're a musician and you're going to be leaving for, for weeks on end. So for the first 10 years of my kid's existence, they had me, they had me for, as a, as a typical working parent. And then when I started doing shows with a band, I, I'd have to leave, I'd have to leave for more like days on end. But even then, we've you know in this more recent uh, incarnation of the band, we've never gone in for the like I'm going to be gone for three months or whatever. We we've been doing uh, shows where we where we do or tours I'll call them. You can barely even call them tours, but we'll go out for like a, a week. Yeah. And I'll be gone for a week, but then I'm going to be back home for like two weeks after that. And so I've been trying to balance that and not be the absentee dad basically um, to kind of. Because I don't think, I don't think that's fair to my kids, and I just think the 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 the, the whole band is on the same page with that. Like, Bill's the same way. Like, I don't want to go and do the three month tours. We used to do that, right? And now we're not going to do the month tours because we because primarily because the kids. We just don't want the kids to be like, who are you? You're coming back after three months, and yeah. so it's it's uh, you know it's nice that we're all on the same page that way, and we can we can tour at the right cadence to kind of keep our family lives uh, stable, basically. Not to mention the fact that, you know, sometimes you're able to bring your family and they can kind of just experience that with you too. Yeah, yeah. I think they, I wouldn't ever recommend that any of them come with me for a full week or anything, yeah. but, uh, but we, when we can swing it and we can, we can make a vacation out of it, they've done, they've done that for sure. Um, and I definitely would not recommend that they get in the bus with me because that's just that's just kind of brutal. Well, not as not as brutal as it used to be, but it but it's just I you know I, I you get used to traveling city to city and sleeping in one of those buses. Yeah, uh, it's something very used to. But for the uninitiated, it, you know, it, it's it could seem a little bit uh, like uh, it could seem a little bit Spartan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, you you talked about um, 
you kind of talked about your upbringing and kind of referenced that. Can you kind of share with me what your relationship was like with your dad? Yeah, that's a it's a good question. It's a good question because I I I uh, you know I loved my dad, but he was he was fairly non demonstrative, and uh, and I feel like we could have had more of a relationship, but of course there's the two way street there, but he, he was, he was a rather quiet, quiet, reserved person. And so that, you know, I, I look back and, and think about things like, uh, you know, we never played catch or whatever, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kind of, you know, yeah. be, you know, and every time I watch field of dreams, it's like, weepy 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 field of dreams moment you know it's yeah. <laughs> i had those so that's that he was that guy and i i had a song just like them that i wrote that i did first with this band milestone and then yeah. all did just like them. and that was that kind of covered that part of him um so it's one of it's it, it, it's I, I don't think it's an unusual kind of a relationship because i think probably a lot of men are that way um but but it does it is something where um, you know, I had a lot of love for him, but we, we never really probably ex- were able to express it with each other that, that well. Yeah, so. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's interesting. Cause I, I never knew that about just like them. I mean, you say father in that song, but I, you yeah. know, I never, I never, um, interpreted that to be, be literal. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard, we always have a hard time as, as, as songwriters, we have a hard time even writing songs that are that aren't just like autobiographical. Bill says he struggles, and I struggle with it as well. So if we if you read the lyrics of any of our songs, you know, uh, I'd say chances are better than ninety percent that it's just completely autobiographical. So father is a lonely man in a crowded room, you know, yeah. and uh, and that's yeah, that's how I viewed him, and maybe that was unfair of me to 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 view him in such a kind of uh, monolithic manner that he was that way but um um you know it's, i've 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 since he, he's died i've i've kind of come to terms with how he was as an individual and that he, that he was a loving man but it was something that uh i kind of i kind of had to come to terms with after after he died again we did not have a we did not have a a a um bad relationship we just didn't close relationship yeah and and that i think you know it's interesting a couple things like you know talking about i I love i've always loved that line father's lonely man in a crowded room and i think you know when i think about even i'm just thinking about this now but the show like i think that's part of what we're trying to to address that there's a lot of guys out there that feel like they're kind of alone and maybe don't have the skills, never learned the skills to kind of share and connect and maybe get the support they need. And um, I'm just sort of like extrapolating from what you said, but um, yeah, that it's kind of an interesting thing that you, you kind of look back on, on those relationships you had. And it's the same with me, like looking back on my relationship with my dad, my dad's still around. And I, I feel like since I've become a dad, my kind of appreciation or your understanding of him has really changed and really grown. And, and maybe that's kind of, maybe that's what you're describing too, is that since you've gotten older, you've kind of been able to reflect back and, and look at it through a different lens. Yeah. I, well, and, and unfortunately 
he never really knew his my, his grandkids. He he died the same year that my daughter was born, and so uh, for example, we she was born, and we were slated we were slated to travel out to California. But we, because we had a newborn, and we were since we had this newborn, we had to delay our our flight, and then he, and then he died while I was. So that so again, I wrote this song, and it kind of covers all this all this uh, angst about about not coming to terms with our feelings, uh, uh, you know, uh, before he before he passed, and that was just an example of where in, uh, I couldn't see him at you know. At, uh, be in, be at his deathbed or whatever, um, and so yeah, he didn't really he didn't get a chance to meet his his granddaughter. But he he met Owen, but of course Owen doesn't remember him because Owen was like a newborn or whatever. Um, but but yeah yeah, I guess having kids, it would have been nice to have experienced the kid thing and then reflect back on on how he raised me to kind of put it all in perspective. Um, and, and maybe there was some of that that came later, after, but it was after he died, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you think um, your relationship with your dad did affect um, how you parent? Like, do you think there was any, I mean, probably there's subconscious, you know, something there, but it, it, was there ever kind of a conscious thought about that? I don't think conscious, but definitely subconscious because he, he had a laissez-faire approach to parenting. And I basically have this similar kind of approach. I, I kind of force myself to not be so laissez-faire because I think it's probably, there's, there's a happy medium there for sure. But, uh, you know, uh, and I think part of not being part of forcing myself to not be laissez-faire is also to try to force myself to engage as well. And, and I think that's, that's to make up for what I felt like, you know, maybe he didn't do enough of, which is engage more in my my childhood, you know, um, and so that's there's it's it's one of those things where your parents can be a good role model, and then you feel like you in some cases they're not a good role role model. So you maybe pick and choose what you thought was good about what they how they raise you, and, and other stuff that wasn't as good, and maybe try to synthesize something out of all that. I hope I'm do, doing something like that. And and sometimes that's even a conscious thing. You kind of try and teach your kids as you go along. Like don't don't be like me for this reason. Like right. I want you to, you know, people always talk. It's a bit of a cliche, but you want your kids to be better than than you were, right? And right. Um, you know, and may, maybe that's part of it too. Is that, that ref, ability to kind of reflect back is really important, and just to to kind of learn from that. Yeah. I'm still, I don't know if I'm at the phase of saying that, that don't be like me. Although yeah, I do yeah. say that I, I can definitely say don't be like me and, and try to be a musician. That's, <laughs> and I think my daughter's picked up, my daughter's picked up on that. Cause I mean, she's a good horn player, but she knows that, okay, this isn't my career. I'm not going to be making a career playing horn. Cause she knows that my experience of music was a complete fluke and that it's, it's really, it, it's a really it can be a real tough, tough road to hoe, but to, to do what I do. What I do. So even though, even though I've tremendous fortune at it, obviously. But it's interesting because, like, a, like as an outsider looking back at your, your kind of this dichotomy of of wanting to pursue science and and uh, kind of further your education and do research and things that you cared about versus music. It seems like it's like you say it was a fluke, but it almost like. 
against all odds became, <laughs> you know, like it, it was a fluke, but, but you, it was almost like your destiny. Like when I look at it from outside, like there's Milo goes to college and, you know, and then you were really focusing, you kind of came back to the band, you were focusing on, on your work and your research again. And then it just, it kind of like kept coming back and coming back. And what's interesting is when I think about like your songs, like, you know, I quit and, and, um, you know, even these songs like Comeback Kid and like a lot of those songs are kind of almost like this longing of like getting back to playing music. And I don't know, is that just like a phase that, that you kind of tend to like oscillate through or is that like, yeah, yeah. it's kind of it's, a thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, uh, like I said, the songs being so autobiographical, they're going to go, they're going to run the gamut of how my passions for, for a variety of activities do cycle and uh and obviously we're talking about them cycling between these two vastly different um, things focuses foci uh and so i think the songs i think i think what what tends to kind of the the through the through the line through all that is passion passion for what you're doing and i always felt like and maybe that's something i should be focusing on with my kids as well. I think I, I probably haven't had that, that, that kind of dis- discreet a discussion with them about follow your passions or just find something that you're passionate about and just do it. You know, it's a little, it's a little pie in the sky. It's a little, um, um, you know, idealistic, but it seems like that's kind of what I did. And so maybe what we're getting at here is it, is it, there's, there's a tremendous amount of fortune and luck in what I do, but I think having, having being passionate about something and combine that with some luck and you, you can, you can actually make a go of it. Uh, you know, the, the two things in isolation, maybe aren't, aren't going to maybe don't work as well, but having, having the passion and the luck together is, is, is a good winning combination it has been for me. And so maybe that's, that's something I can impart to them as well. Yeah. It's, it's funny because like, just looking, <laughs> I kind of said this already, but looking through your, your songs on like each of those albums, especially kind of between, everything sucks and cool to be you and hypercafium. It's like, you, you always had one or two songs about like, Oh, I just got to get back at it. You know? So it's, yeah. it, it's all, it was almost like, that's probably foreshadowing for you. You started this emotion was coming out and it's like, Oh shit, I, I need to get yeah. back doing this. That's what I was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's that song. We, I wrote that song. Uh, I think it's called goosebumps. I don't know. Is it called goosebumps? Is it dry it's spell? Dry spell, yeah. See, that's what it's called, yeah. But I mean, that that to me, that that's the notion of I don't care what I'm doing as long as I'm being creative about it, and as long as as long as I've got that creative spark, that that's where I'm living, and I, as uh, that's where I feel like I'm really living is when I've got that creative spark. And it could be science, or it yeah. could be music, or it could be just anything else. You know, it could be making pottery or whatever. Um, but so. That yeah, I, I that's kind of where I'm at, and I decided that that's something I should document in song, and and I've, I guess I've done that a few times now, where I just yeah. tried to document my my kind of career, my career outlook, or you know, or not even my career, just my like life outlook. Um, and uh, I like I said, I'm, I feel extremely fortunate that any of this has worked out because it's not really something that people people at the career center would tell you to do. They they'd probably tell you. To you know, you know what are your strengths and and basically just 
go, what does the job market look like and what are yeah. your strengths? And let's go. Yeah. It's like, but no, what about, what do I, what do I want to do? What, I, what, what really gets me up in the morning? What gets me jazzed, you know? Uh, so I, I, I wouldn't make a good I wouldn't make a good career counselor, counselor that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you've kind of like managed to do it all, right? Like, so I listened to you on, um, this was a number of months ago, it was on, the, it might maybe even a year or more ago on that, there was a podcast called Alma Martyr. And you were talking with, um, I think he was a biochemist and you guys were talking about some of your research and like, so I, I'm a pharmacist, so I, I maybe have a, a little bit more insight into some of that stuff, but like obviously it was way over my head, but you could tell that that passion that you're talking about. And so, you know, and, and I can even understand like having that, needing to have a creative outlet. So when your research was really, you know, going and it was really exciting, like that was your creative outlet, right? And, and then yeah. when that starts to fizzle, like you need to get it somewhere else, right? And I think that, you know, I don't know if everybody goes through this. Certainly I do, you know, thinking about needing creativity um, and some, some outlet for that. And so, yeah, is, is that sort of what was going on? It was kind of like, well, when that fizzled, like there was just something inside of you that had to get out. about science i i got into to science through uh, when i was in high school doing a book report not a book report an oral report on dna and and i was all interested in recombinant dna and then again what really intrigued me was the creative aspect of what you could do with recombinant dna now you know not creating frankenstein monster or anything like that but just how you how you could uh you know potentially help cure disease, for example. Yeah. Uh, so, and so I, that, that kind of is how I got into science, but, but, you know, many years later realized that while there is a fair amount of creativity involved in science, there's also a fair amount of just nose to the grindstone data, gener- data generation and, uh, um, maybe less creative aspects to it that are more technical obviously and so i think when i finally left science and and became a full-time musician i realized maybe maybe i'm more maybe i'm more comfortable not having to to deal with some of those other aspects of science because what really what i really liked about science was was the creative part of it where um where i was making new technologies discovering new things uh, and that the other stuff I found a little bit more uh, kind of dreary <laughs> in the end. Uh, so yeah, maybe, maybe that's, that's, that's telling is that I just, I, uh, I, uh, I wanted to find, I wanted it to be this kind of like, you know, I placed a huge emphasis on discovery, huge emphasis on creation and less of an emphasis on, uh, generation, generation of data necessarily. Um, so I was probably an imperfect scientist at best. Um, but I enjoyed it. And I think some, I think I did make some contributions in the end. So, yeah. And you know, you worked at a pretty big company and so I imagine there was, you know, a fair bit of like red tape and politics and general, you know, just bullshit that goes along with that. Right. Yeah. I think that was, 
and probably I'd have been better in an academic setting in terms of in terms of the creative part of it, right. where you're at a, at, a, at a university where you're say writing grant proposals, and that's a, a lot of that's discovery work, and a lot of that's um, more uh, open ended, yep. not as applied. Uh, and so I probably would have been better at a university, but I have to say, you know, Dupont Dupont gave me some great years. Uh, you know, and I'm happy to have been there. Um, but when when I finally left Dupont, I was relieved yeah. in the end. So definitely relieved. So from a like, so that's been a few years now, right? Uh, since you've been 2016. Full-time. Yeah. Yeah. So what's that been like? You, I imagine you've been around home a lot more. What's that been like in terms of like? You know, family life and and the kids they're at kind of an interesting time right now teenagers and um you know probably doing lots of different activities and stuff like that so you're kind of around for that quite a bit yeah i think it's it's i think um it's worked out it's worked out very well from a family life point of view because um my i mean i i when we were touring of course this is pre-covid at this point but when yeah. we were touring i'd be gone for a week but then i'd be home for a few weeks and i definitely felt like uh i was able to um be more there for them than for example when you're working a nine to five job or whatever uh and i i was i'm to this day i am the go-to person for all chauffeuring yeah also these kids and my daughter she's got lots of activities again pre-covid but lot, yeah. had lots of activities, and I was just like I was like the sh- full-on limo driver all day. Boom, 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 boom. You know her schedule was so I've 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 been that person, the driver, and just kind of keeping the house together. I've been involved with a lot of that. So that's that's all facilitated by just being a musician um, and, and not going off to the nine-to-five job. Um, but it did take me a while. I'd say once I didn't, once I wasn't in that nine to five position, it did take me a while to, to figure out how to do time management. Time management becomes a huge issue because, uh, uh, you know, you wake up and the world is your oyster and (laughs) you're you're more than willing to kind of watch that oyster rot. (laughs) I'd say leisure, leisure is my, my big, my big, uh, uh, downfall, yeah, because I, I, uh, I, I probably should get get a better uh, get be a little more disciplined in terms of my in terms of my scheduling and my own activities because I, oh, it's yeah. so hard, right? I like just. <laughs> I remember when I was at home with my youngest daughter for a few months. Um, you know, my wife would come home from work, and it's like, yeah, the dishes still weren't done, the laundry wasn't done, and it, <laughs> it's like, yeah, what was I doing all day? <laughs> what was yeah. I doing? Very important things. Very important things. Yeah. You don't need to know. <laughs> no. <laughs> Seemed important at the time, anyways. Yeah. So yeah, I've I've gotten better, but I like I I'm always been impressed with uh, Stefan, the guitar player in my band. Yeah. Who uh, he describes his daily his daily schedule: drop the kids off at school, come back, and go down into his studio and write a song. You know. And it's it's like a whole routine that he had. Maybe not write a song, but like work on music, like yeah. go down and work on song creation in a very uh, scheduled way. Like 
this is my time to do that. And they, he says, you know, a lot of times nothing happens, you know, but then there's other times where shit happens. And yeah. so for this latest record, he wrote like, I don't know, like 40 songs or something crazy. Um, most of them without words. So I've been, I write words for his music. Yeah. And so together he and I have written about 30 songs. Wow. Uh, just for this record. Um, and, but it's, it's been because he, he's been the, he's been the nugget of creation for bringing these songs, the music part of these songs together. And I just hang some words on top of it. Um, and that's been a great little collaboration we've got going, but I've always, again, I've always been impressed with how he can just, he can schedule that in as part of his, like a job. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, I, 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 we, we, we get a little precious about songwriting about it's gotta be this inspirational thing or whatever, but there's something to be said for just generating tunes, melodies. uh, And as long as you've got a, a way of documenting said events and su- and sifting through them, sifting and winnowing through them to know which ones are the ones that are going to stick with you. I mean, cause I, he says that he's, he's writing so many songs. He knows that some of them are crap, yep. but he eventually you're going to get a good one, you know? So, but that I, I've had, I've had tr- struggled. I've struggled a bit writing that way. I tend to still want to write a song that, Come, like a tune, a tune that comes into my head or a lyric that comes into my head and then flesh it out. And then Bill's in the almost the opposite extreme. He has to, songs for him that just have to come to him fully formed. Right. You know, that's makes it, makes it hard, makes it hard to be prolific. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it was in, in film and she's talking about, about that. I can't remember which song he's talking about. I should probably know, but, um, it was something like sheets where clean sheets, sheets maybe. Clean, yeah. It's just campaign. Yeah. You know. Woke yeah. up and it's there. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but, and it is a great song. But, yeah, it uh, is. But, so now we're, we're trying to write this record and Bill, or it's like Stefan and I have got like 40, between he and I have got like 40 songs and Bill's, you know, sweating bullets. I got to write some songs. But he's got to, he, it has to, they have to come for him in some more organic way of, like I said, but I think he said he's making progress. Bill tends to come through with, with some real zingers. So yeah, that's what I saw. I said, Hey, just, you don't have to write 40 songs. We wrote 40 songs. You write like three and they're going to be the best songs. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I kind of took us off on a tangent there, but um, to kind of get back to the, the fatherhood thing, um, going back to kind of that time when you had Owen, maybe just immediately preceding that you had a lot going on. Did you have fears about becoming a dad? Um, I wouldn't say, no, I felt like, I felt like I could probably swing it. I never, I never felt like I'd be a failure as a dad, Yeah. but I, but I also, I also, I knew also that it was going to be something that was, that I would be probably ripping my hair out a lot, just trying to kind of just trying to kind of invent, invent what it, invent what it, what it means to be a father for me. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I think I, I knew it was going to be a huge challenge. I knew, I, I knew it was going to be something that, uh, that, uh, was, was going to be probably the biggest challenge of my life. And, uh, but I felt like, 
I felt like I wanted to do it. I mean, that's the main thing is the, having the desire. I mean, when you talk about people who aren't good parents, it's probably half the time they, they're not, they don't have the desire to be a good parent, you know, right. or they don't have the desire to, to kind of put in the time or whatever. Right. Um, that's and, a lot of work. Yeah. So I felt like I was willing to do all that. And, uh, and, uh, I knew it was, I knew it was not going to be a uh, cakewalk, <laughs> right. but, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. Um, and I feel like, uh, I mean, obviously I feel like it was the best thing that ever happened to me. So, yeah, yeah pretty, pretty common feeling in some of these interviews. So, um, so shifting gears a little bit, we have a little feature that we like to do. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. It's called, uh, the rad dad, bad dad feature. So, Oh, just like I, my nickname that my daughter gave me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm going to bring it back to that. So, um, like typically what what we're kind of asking is like give us one of those kind of like dad of the year blue ribbon moments rad dad moments right that sticks out in your mind and then alternatively you know we all have those kind of dad fail moments right where you just like how how did that happen how did i let that happen kind of moments and do, do either of those kind of anything pop into your mind for for that i mean i guess I guess for rad dad, it's probably bringing the kids on stage because it's just to give them ex- that experience yeah. of, of just something completely out of their, out of their wheelhouse, something, something that they just wouldn't be had ever experienced before. Uh, and I think they were, I think they really cherish that type of thing. And so that, that's kind of a good rad dad. Yeah. Thing, proud moment, I can imagine. Yeah. Just to kind of have them, performing you know and they, yeah. they won't be perform they won't they won't be performers probably although my 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 daughter does perform in french horn so yeah she's she has a she has a performance angle to what she does um but yeah bad dad um just uh oh, i think just kind of like I'm, i can't think of a specific example other than where I just lost my shit on them, you know. Yeah, um, they were fighting, and I just lost my shit on them. Yeah, and then I just feel like I just feel like a total loser to have oh. that lost my shit on them. Worst um, feeling ever, right? Like just to yeah. to lash out at your kids. <laughs> you're supposed to be yeah. there protect to protect them, and you're you know scaring. Yeah. That that's I, I I would agree with that. Like for me, it's when I can see they're scared. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a bad. Like, what, what, I don't know if you've watched the news, the series, um, breeders. No, I, I would high, highly recommend breeders. Uh, it's, it's got the guy from, um, the Hobbit. He was, he played the Hobbit, uh, okay. Martin Freeman, Martin Freeman. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 And he was also in that series Fargo, which is another yeah. great, great show, but this is his new thing. And I think, the uh, much of the series it's not that it's all it's maybe eight eight or ten episodes but much of the series deals with that angle of he's obviously a, a great dad but but boy he's just like he he finds himself just becoming a monster to them yeah. at times and uh everyone's been through that where you, you could be the best dad in the world and you, and you and you just you snap and then you just you become this like ogre uh, and I've had, I've definitely had that. Happen. I mean, and depending on the age of the kids, if they're, if they're, if they're young, then they, then they, then they just haven't learned how to coexist. And 
they need they need to be they need like a teachable moment, but you don't need to tear tear their heads off about it at right. the same time. They just, they just need some teachable moment. So that's I've you know I don't like to lose my shit on my kids. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a common one for sure. Um, you said you you like some uh, some dad jokes. So do you have a dad joke to share? Is there one that's Oh, I'm, really, I'm putting you on the spot. I should have came prepared. I really should have came prepared. Ah, shoot. So, so uh, I've got one. I've got one while you're thinking. I thought yeah. this one was pretty funny. Um, no pressure, but did you want to buy a broken barometer? That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, there's a bunch of good ones. I, I guess I don't have one on the tip of my tongue, but obviously there's mine tend to be really bad puns. Yeah. 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 General category. Bad joke of dad jokes is the, is the really bad pun. And I'm just a sucker for that. I'm just going to always go for that. And, uh, um, especially if it's a bad pun that involves farting, then I'm, then I'm, um, yeah. Well, like it's a crime not to take that opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I talk, I've, I've talked about my daughter, uh, being under my tutelage because, because I taught her how to fart. So that's kind of a bad <laughs> joke. She's under that's my tutelage. But I taught her how to fart. So, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Kind of made up the spot, yeah. So Milo, what's, what's next for you? So you, it sounds like you guys are writing some material. Do you, do you like, it probably got accelerated in terms of that process. Um, you know, maybe something coming out a little sooner than you had maybe originally planned. Like, do you, do you guys have a sense of where you're at in that process? Well, I, I, I think uh, COVID probably gave us a bit of a reprieve more than anything else. Okay. Because I, I kind of think we wanted to make a record before we even booked shows anymore. And this, for example, this year, this year we only had a, a very few shows booked and they were supposed to be in the second half of the year. Right. I think it was literally a handful of shows. And that was because we were writing a record. And then we, we get, now we're in the middle of the year and we still haven't finished writing the record. Um, and so, but now, but now with COVID, we're not going to be booking shows till next year at the earliest. Right. Um, so, we're, so probably, I guess what I'm getting at is it would probably put a record out, towards the end of this year or beginning of next year, I, w- I would think that would be the timeline for it. Yeah. Um, well, if, if you don't know that you're going to be able to play shows to support it, does that affect when, when you put that out? Right. Yeah. I kind of That's feel like, uh, for you guys? I, well, I, the thing is, the thing about making a record is it's, it's, we want to, we want to give something new for people who come to the show. I mean, yeah. we, Gone are the days where we'd make a record and say, "Hey, now we're going to make money off of this record." You don't do that anymore. Yeah. You don't make money. Off of it. So now it's like, well, we the 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 record is actually just an advertisement for the show, and and right. it's like, hey, come out and see us play because we've got these new songs, you know, and that and that's kind of how we view it now. So we definitely want to make a record for that purpose, um, and also we also feel bad about the fact that so many years go by in between of all of our records. So we're, we're aiming, we're gunning for not having it be another 10 years or whatever it is. Uh, before the record. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, it may still be a few years, but, but at least that's better than the, the 10 or 15 years that we've done in the past. Yeah. We're getting better. 
we're getting better um, about you that. Know, I mean, I can at least say you don't disappoint when the records come out. So it's not like we wait yeah, 10 like, years and then get a, you know, crappy record. We, we, I think uh, we never really felt an obligation like what well, we have to record or we, we never had uh, record companies breathing down our necks. Oh, you, you, your next records do yeah. or whatever. We just, we wait until we have songs. It's always, it's always like, well, we won't put a record out until we have songs. Yeah. Um, and as I said, Stefan is driving the ship at this point. <laughs> He's yeah. the one that's, uh, that's really setting the standard for everyone else. Um, and I've, I've written a bunch of songs that some of went ended up being, I decided, well, these were descendant songs, but I'm going to make them be ukulele songs yeah. instead, either because they're more ballady or because they, because they have a certain uh, shelf life. The three uke songs that I wrote, I wrote for the descendants, but they relate to our current political period. And I feel like if I'm going to wait until uh, post election, <laughs> they're not as they're not as meaningful. And in let's, fact, let's they're, hope so, yeah. what's that? Let's hope they're not as meaningful after the election. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I I hope that I hope that after the election, I don't I don't even have to play them anymore because it's it's kind of like a they've done their duty. Hopefully, That's <laughs> the song titles are one's hindsight twenty twenty, which hindsight twenty twenty. Um, yeah. one's, one's called Royal Flush. Okay. And you can figure out what that's about. Yeah. Uh, and one's called On You, which short for This One's On You, which is more about 2016 and the debacle of 2016. Right. So you can kind of get a feel for why those songs need to be put out sooner rather than later. Right. And so they're, they're being done in the uke format so they can come out quicker. With you know, And so that, that's going to come out uh, on Epitaph, uh, hopefully sometime late or later on this year yeah nice yeah i wasn't sure if that was kind of it seemed like when that original the first time i heard about that it was kind of like oh yeah i'm not sure what's going to happen with that but sounds like there's something happening yeah bill helped me bill helped me deal you know kind of deal with the business part of like contacting epitaph and working through all the details of that fractional stuff or whatever but uh they they were agreeable to put it out um, at least put it out on Spotify. I still have to work out a, a way to get it um, put out on vinyl because it it kind of has to come out on vinyl because the title of the record itself is forty five dot 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 not alp and so that's that, that's uh, that because you title a record forty five not an lp it needs to come out on forty five yeah. yeah 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 so. So that's and that's the whole project called Rebuke. It's the name of this, the name of the thing, and it's just basically me doing my shtick. Um, so that's that's exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, pour into that. Uh, it, it, it could, it, I could easily, I could easily see it sinking like a lead balloon because it's me on ukulele. So it's kind of like a totally different, non-descendant sounding thing. But I, I like playing uke, and I've got a few different kinds of ukes that are. Uh, that aren't as plinky sounding, you know, it's like, right. if you think of you can go, well, it's just going to sound plinky, but I've got, I've got like a six string kind of uke. That's a little more guitar sounding. And so the, and I've got an electric uke to give it some, to give it more of a rock feel. So I don't, I try to mix well, it up. And so I've I, seen some yeah. of the, like the Gibson, like makes like a Les Paul uke and a SG uke. And so, yeah, yeah, there's lots of different 
I, I think the the interest in ukulele is a lot higher these days than it ever has been before, for sure. So I, I something tells me Descendants fans will will like your record. I hope so. I mean, we have we have the song band where we talk about you yeah. know our small uke. So it's kind of a, it's part of the thing of the band. We I mean, and Bill has written like Bill wrote "Silly Girl" on the uke and that kind of thing. So we've written a lot of songs just on the uke, and then you got to translate them into a punk rock format. But I, I like the ukulele for for the portability and just for the ease of playing, and it's it's fun. It just gives it it's goofy and you know yeah. it fits. My, personality that way but yeah so that's that's something that's kind of in the works and then cool. obviously the sentence records in the works and then bill and i well bill sent me a bunch of songs that he recorded with frank and tony um the original bass and guitar yep. player uh that he recorded with them that are really old descendant songs from like 1979 uh so 78 79 and some of these songs, I when I first joined the band, we played, uh, and then some of them, some of them they played prior to me joining. So I joined after they were they were a trio, and I I joined, and and so uh, it was fun to kind of go back and read and add my vocals, not only to the ones that I used to sing back then, but yeah. actually to add vocals to the ones that were around prior to when I was in the band. Uh, we redid Ride the Wild, we redid Hectic World, that kind of thing. Um, and it's That's pretty amazing. Cool. Yeah. So, and, and were there any like new songs that you hadn't heard before, or or kind of didn't yeah. realize were? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I there's three categories. About half the songs we actually did in the set right when I started, and it was great to do those again because now we've documented. And for me, I was able to give them the same feel that I gave them back then. Yeah, uh, and it was great that, that to then document that for me. And of course, it brings back such great memories as well. But then there, another another quarter of the songs were songs that I'd heard I'd heard them do as a trio, and so they were they were very familiar to me. But we never. But when I joined the band, we they'd already been kicked out of the kicked out of the set. Yeah. And then another quarter of the songs were so old that they'd already kicked them out of the set by the time I'd even see them. So they were completely new to me and never heard them before. And it was those were. Those are even more fun because then I just it's like you know it's fle it's fleshed out it fleshed out that period for me uh, in, a, in a more complete way because these this was like the very very embryonic beginnings of the Descendants. Right. In fact, one of the songs was written by the bass player of the Last, which which is the Last is the band that basically uh, uh, was huge influence on the Descendants from the very start. And in fact, the very first Descendants project was Frank and the bass player from the last. It's Dave Nolte. Yeah. Just playing in Dave, playing in Dave Nolte's basement. And that was one of the songs we did was one of Dave's songs from then. So, and, and so are those songs, um, are they like the guitar and bass and stuff was all pre-recorded, or is it rearrangements of, of those songs from that time? Well, they, so Bill invited Frank and Tony in 2002 to to the to Fort Collins Blasting Room, and they and they they basically tracked, they tracked 19 songs. No way. Of early Descendants stuff, and uh, Bill's Bill's had those tapes ever since. And I and you know and during this COVID period, I said, hey, I'm bored here. Let's 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 go back to those because there was always in the back of our heads like, you know, we've got these songs that I used to sing on back then, 
and it's a way of honoring Frank Nevada right. as well because he that he died I think within the year after they recorded those. Um, so that that would have been around the time of like stockage, right? The second yeah. stockage or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Because he he was maybe, there for. Yeah, he was there for stockage, and it, maybe maybe he was even maybe they coincided as well. Like maybe while he was there, hey, let's yeah. record these songs for posterity or whatever. And they're good songs. I mean, I I think of these songs as if you've heard you know Ride the Wild, Hectic World. Yeah. It's you listen to that Ride the Wild, and then you listen to like the Fatty P, and you go, what the fuck? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> what happens is all these songs in between. Yeah. These are songs that bridge yeah. ride to like, you know, Derenaissance or whatever. You know? Right. It's a great, it's a great bridge between those two. Oh man, that's super exciting. Yeah. Um, it's fun. A lot of fun to do. Milo, thanks for being on the show. That's it. Do you, um, any words of wisdom for uh, dads out there? Maybe dads who are, um, I don't want to say expecting. Is that the right word for the dad? Um, soon to be dads. Any any words of wisdom? Drink a lot of coffee because you're <laughs> going to need it. <laughs> That's worked well for me. A lot of coffee. Yeah. We just got a puppy. We just got a puppy, and I'm I'm doing these like night shifts with the puppy, and it totally brings me back to the night shifts you do with your kids. Yeah. You know, uh, where and then. And so uh, I'm all. I wake up. You know, I've been waking up in the morning like ah, uh, like totally like groggy because this dog's waking me up at six a.m. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I want to sleep until eight or whatever. And and uh, and it, you know, it's it's not. It's, I had I complained about it to my wife. She said it's still not as bad as it was when you know when the kids were newborn because then you really are just doing these crazy shifts. You know, like yeah. in two hours. Uh, you know, I get, I'd get him up and I'd either bring the kid to her and try to have her feed them without waking up, you know, <laughs> right. that? but do either that, or once we got them on the bottle, then I, you know, I'd be feeding them. Uh, so, and changing them and all that. So yeah, that, that drink a lot of coffee. Yeah. One, <laughs> if you're one not a coffee drinker, you're going to become a coffee drinker once yeah. you have kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah one one benefit with uh with the uh, kids over dogs though you can't put a diaper on a dog well maybe you could but I've that would be i would love to to know about that uh yeah because we're now we're potty training her and right that's you know, job is, so. yeah i've been there yeah. well great advice milo it's really awesome talking to you i really enjoyed it um and yeah hopefully we'll see you soon once things kind of start to get back to normal and some shows yeah. start happening and you know maybe we'll have some music in the meantime who knows what these shows are going to look like yeah they're going to be i just feel like live for live music performance is going to be different but we'll yeah. we'll, we'll make it work somehow you know some, yeah, somehow I, we'll make maybe a vaccine you know changes all that who knows yeah or maybe maybe clubs come equipped with a sneeze guard on the front of the stage yeah nice nice wide sneeze guard and then you can play your show i don't know we'll see everyone everyone gets a plastic kind of breathable suit something like that yeah i was thinking you know that i've seen some restaurants where they wear a six feet kind of six feet ring around you actually put it on and it keeps it keeps you six feet away from someone else that would be cool at a punk rock show right because everyone's slamming around, but it's like it's be like you know, in bumper cars. 
Yeah. And you'd be able to wear these six feet, six feet rings. And that might make for a good, a good slam pit. I would I've think. seen, I've seen the good, the six foot sombreros. Yeah. That would work too. Yeah. yeah unless you're really tall, then you're just going to go right over. Yeah. They have to be at the same height. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, we'll make it work. We'll yeah, we got some things to think about, Milo. <laughs> okay, thanks so much. We'll uh, we'll talk soon. I appreciate your time today. All right, see you later. Take care, man. That was Milo on the Rad Dad Show.